0: Luan Emotional Podcast, conversations for inspiration on the go. We offer on-the-go inspiration because our whole heart is set on beauty and our best bets are set on art. So in today's episodes of Luan Emotional Podcast, we are going to discover And to walk through, through this amazing little book by Roger Scruton called Beauty, a very short introduction by Oxford. I love these tiny books because uh, these very short introductions line are for anyone wanting to stimulate an accessible way into a new subject. They're written by experts and have been published in more than 25 languages worldwide. So one of the four values that we have inside Luan is beauty, right? And it's something... That it has to do with our evolution, something that has to do with art, with our expression, with our creativity. It's something that has to do with the survival of the human species. So I would like to take an, an episode to dig a little bit deeper into what is beauty and why is it important for us humans and for our evolution. And um, something quite nice to explore, because as you'll see, it's a very abstract, but at the same time, biological concept, very interesting to explore. So we're going to start by the true, the good and the beautiful. So there is an appealing idea about beauty, which goes back to Plato and Plotinus, and which became incorporated by various routes into Christian theological thinking. According to this idea, beauty is an ultimate value something that we pursue for its own sake and for the pursuit of which no further reason need be given. So then we could say that beauty should therefore be compared to truth and goodness, right? One member of a trio of ultimate, the values which justify our rational inclinations. Why believe P? Well, because it's true. Why want X? Well, because it's good. Why look at Y? because it is beautiful. In some way, philosophers have argued those answers are on a par. It brings a state of mind into the ambit of reason by connecting it to something that it is in our nature as rational beings to pursue. Someone who asks why believe what is true or why want what is good has failed to understand the nature of reasoning. So that person doesn't see that if we are to justify our beliefs and desires at all, then our reasons must be anchored in the true and the good. So does that do the same for beauty? If someone asks me, why are you interested in X? Well, it's because it's beautiful, a final answer, one that is immune to to counter argument, like answers like because it is good or because it is true. To say as much is to overlook the subversive nature of beauty. Someone charmed by a myth may be tempted to believe it. And this is the case, beauty in the enemy anim- is the enemy of truth. By the first Olympian ode, a man attracted to a woman may be tempted to condone her vices. And in this case, beauty is the enemy of goodness. This is quoted by Manon Lescaut, which describes the moral ruin of the Chevalier de Rio by the beautiful Manon. So goodness and truth never compete, they're completely different concepts. We assume, and the pursuit of the one is always compatible with a proper aspect and respect for the other. So the pursuit of beauty, however, is far more questionable. From Kierkegaard to Wilde, the aesthetic way of life in which beauty is pursued as a supreme value has been opposed to the life of virtue the love of myths, stories, and rituals, the need for consolation and harmony, the deep desire for order all have drawn people to religious beliefs, regardless of whether those beliefs are true. The prose of Flaubert, the imagery of Baudelaire, the harmonies of Wagner, the sensuous forms of Canova have all been accused of immorality by those who believe that they paint wickedness in enduring colors. So we don't have to agree with such judgments in order to acknowledge their point, right? The status of beauty is an ultimate value, is completely questionable, we don't know if it's an ultimate value or not, in the way that the status of truth and goodness are not. So let us at least say that this particular path to the understanding of beauty is not easily available to a modern thinker. The confidence which philosophers once trod in its due to an assumption Made explicit already in the enhance of Platonius, that truth, beauty, and goodness are attributes of a deity, ways in which the divine unity makes itself known to the human soul, okay? So if we go back to its roots, that theological vision was edited for Christian use by Santo Tomás Aquinas and embedded in the subtle of the comprehensive reasoning for which that philosopher is justly famous. But it is not a vision that we can assume to be universal. Quite interesting. And so we we need to set aside the concept of beauty without making any theological claims of that background of where does it come from. So we're going to start with some attitudes, okay? And we should take a lesson from the philosophy of beauty. So it would help to define our subjects if we were to begin from a list of comparable platitudes about beauty, against which our theories might be tested. So here are six of them. Number one, that beauty pleases us. Number two, one thing can be more beautiful than the other, something that's quite comparable. Three. Beauty is always a reason for attending to the thing that possesses it. Four, beauty is the subject matter of a judgment. Judgment of taste. And by that, we can assume that we all have different tastes, right? That's why there's no one size fits all. There's not one type of person that's completely beautiful for everybody. Some people might like, you know, blonde people or brunette people or redheads. Um... Five, the judgment of taste is about the beautiful object, not about the subject's state of mind. In describing an object as beautiful, we are describing it. Number six, nevertheless, there are no second hand judgments of beauty. There is no way that you can argue into an argument that I have not made for myself, nor can I become an expert in beauty simply by studying what others have said about beautiful objects and without experiencing and judging it for yourself. So this last placitude may be doubted, right? We might swear by a certain music critic whose judgment of pieces and performances we can take as a gospel. Isn't that like adopting my scientific beliefs from the opinion of experts or legal beliefs from the judgment of courts? Well, the answer is no. Because when we put our trust in a critic, this is tantamount tantanimous to saying that I defer to this judgment, even when we have net made not judgment of our own, okay? So what can we say about beauty? We have uh, all experienced beauty, right? We have experienced beauty in a piece of art. We have experienced beauty in nature. We have experienced beauty in the persons, in the people that we're attracted to. And... What, what have we felt? In one of uh, Luan's emotional podcasts, uh, we talked about aesthetic emotions and these are specific emotions that are triggered by beauty when you see something beautiful. So I'd encourage you, either you could be on your way to work, on public transportation, you can be on a park, you can be um, on your holiday, wherever you are right now and look around you, look around you, anything that you can see. And you're going to find something that provokes an aesthetic emotion in you. Look at something beautiful. It could be the trees and the leaves, you know, moving with the wind. Can you see that? Can you stop from one moment and appreciate that beauty? And now let yourself be connected by those aesthetic emotions. What is it that you're feeling? What are the characteristics of these aesthetic emotions? Something quite interesting about this, the the research about aesthetic emotions is that aesthetic emotions evoke joy and nurtures energy inside of you. You know, for example, when you're feeling other emotions, such as, for example, pain or anger, right? You feel kind of like tough emotions, uncomfortable emotions inside of you and kind of like tension, right? These emotions start taking up energy. When you're experiencing beauty, it fills yourself with energy. It's quite something fascinating to study inside the chemical process of emotions of what's happening inside our brains. Because research shows that we have 60 seconds, 60 seconds that our body absorbs the chemical reactions of any emotion. So, If we're feeling either a pleasant emotion or an unpleasant emotion, if we sit with it for more than 60 seconds, many researchers around the world say that we integrate, that we absorb that emotion, and then that emotion is transformed into something else. So if we're experiencing pain, for example, we might be constantly running away from pain. But when we sit with pain we transform pain. So the only way out is through. Okay. We're going to talk a little bit about minimal beauty. Okay. So here's an important uh, thing to make room for on our second platitude: Things can often be compared and ranked according to their beauty. There is also minimal beauty in the lowest degree, which might be a long way from the sacred beauties of arts, and nature which are discussed by philosophers. There is an aesthetic minimalism exemplified by laying the table tidying in your room, designing a website which seems, at first sight, quite remote from the aesthetic heroism exemplified by Bernini's in Santa Teresa in Ecstasy or in Bach's Well-Tempered Clavier. You don't wrestle over these things as Beethoven wrestled, wrestled over the, last, the late quartets, nor do you expect them to be recorded for all time among the triumphs of artistic achievements. Nevertheless, you want the table, the room, or the website to look right. And looking right matters in the way that beauty generally matters, not by pleasing the eye only, but by conveying meanings and values which have weight for you and and which you're consciously putting on display." Wow. I'm going to read this again because I think it's quite important, okay? So, you want the table, the room, or the website to look right. And looking right matters in the way that beauty generally matters, not by pleasing the eye only, but by conveying meaning and values which have weight for you and which you are consciously putting on display. So it has to do more, not about what it evokes in you as an energy, as an aesthetic emotion, but in the meaning and values that you give inside of that beauty, okay? So our second platitude is not without consequences because we need to take seriously the suggestion that judgment of value tend to be comparative. So for example, when we judge things in respect of their goodness and beauty, our concern is very often to rank alternatives, right? With a view to choosing between them. Do you like this or do you like that? So for example... of the design that um one of my friends which is an editor of a fashion magazine that uh what they do is sometimes they put for example different uh yellow dresses all together right models from from the runway and the idea is for you to compare which style of that yellow long gown dress is the one that you find more pleasing so the idea by comparing this It's kind of like getting engaged with the content of a magazine. So the pursuit of absolute or ideal beauty may distract us from the more urgent business of getting things right. It is well and good for philosophers, poets, and theologians to point towards beauty in its highest form. But for most of us, it is far more important to achieve order in the things surrounding us and to assure that the eyes, the ears, and the sense of fittingness are not repeatedly offended and another consideration follows which is that the emphasis on beauty might in certain cases be self-defeating by implying that our choices are between different degrees of a single quality so that we must always aim for what is most beautiful in everything that we choose in fact too much attention to beauty might defeat its own object in the case of urban design for example the goal is in the first instance to fit in not to stand out So if you want to stand out, then you have to be worthy of the attention that you claim, like Longina's Church. This does not mean that the humble and the harmonious street is not beautiful. Rather, it suggests that we can understand its beauty better if we describe it in another and less loaded way, as a form of fictiveness or harmony, where we to aim in every case at the kind of supreme beauty exemplified by Santa Maria de la Salute, which we should end with aesthetic overload so the clamorous masterpieces jostling for attention side by side would lose their distinctiveness and the beauty of each of them would be at war with the beauty of the rest okay so this point leads to another which is that beautiful is by no means the only adjective that we deploy in making judgments of this kind We praise things for their elegance, their intricacy, their fine patina. We admire music for its expressiveness, its discipline, its orderliness. We appreciate the pretty, the charming, and the attractive. And we will often be far more confident in such judgments than in an unqualified assertion that a thing is beautiful. So... To speak of beauty is to enter another and more exalted realm, a realm sufficiently apart from our everyday concerns as to be mentioned only with a certain hesitation. So people who are always, always in praise and pursuit of the beautiful are an embarrassment, like people who make a constant display of their religious faith. This is something that's quoted in the book, not something that I say, it's a strong statement. And somehow the book states, we feel such things should be kept for accepted moments and not paraded in company or allowed to spill out over dinner. Okay. So we had to define two concepts of beauty, for example. So the judgment of beauty that emerges is not merely a statement of preference. It demands an act of attention and it may be expressed in many different ways. Less important that the final verdict is the attempt to show what is right, fitting, worthwhile, attractive, or expressive in the object. In other words, to identify the aspect of the thing that claims our attention. So the word beauty may very well not figure in our attempts to articulate and to harmonize our tastes. And this suggests a distinction between the judgment of beauty considered as a justification of taste and the emphasis on beauty is a distincting way of appealing to that judgment. So it's quite interesting because, for example, you can go into an interior design space and feel our breath taking away. And it could not be our style. Maybe we like, I don't know, more uh, warm spaces or more white or, or darker spaces, whatever it is to our appeal. But there's specific aesthetic lines and theories about beauty that help a lot to understand it. And by... Adding a little bit of, you know, the concept to this beauty, um, I'm sorry, to this episode about beauty is this amazing book called The Survival of the Prettiest by Nancy Atkoff. And she talks about the biological essence of beauty in the survival of the species. And she talks about how beauty evolved for our reproduction and evolution. So she talks about, for example, what is considered beautiful from the woman and Talks about, for example, having, well, one of the symbols is teeth or the skin, because that gives the idea of health, you know, for a fertility partner. For example, for males, it has to do with kind of like the voice is way more important. The way that men talk in this book, or what it states is that it's way more important than the looks that could be more important. Um, as, as for a woman being seen by a male. And this is talking about, you know, traditional gender roles that this book states about, right? There should be amazing studies um, that are being done right now by binary identities, by non-bi- non-binary identities. And that would be really interesting to see what is the evolution of beauty in this essence. So for you, for example, what is, what is beautiful for you? And what does beauty evoke inside of you? One of the concepts to close this episode that I like the most is about beauty and the senses. Okay. So there's this ancient view that beauty is the object of a sensory rather than an intellectual delight and that the senses must always be involved in appreciating it. Hence, when the philosophy of art became conscious of itself at the beginning of the 18th century, it called itself aesthetics, after the Greek aesthetis sensation. When Kant wrote that the beautiful is that which pleases immediately and without concepts, he was providing a rich philosophical embellishment to this tradition of thinking. Aquinas, too, seems to have endorsed the idea defining the beautiful in the first part of the Summa as that which is pleasing to sight. However, he modifies this statement in the second part, writing that the beautiful relates only to sight and hearing of all the senses, since these are the most cognitive among them. And this suggests not only that he did not confine the study of beauty to the sense of sight, but that he was less concerned with the sensory impact of the beautiful than with its intellectual significance, even if it is a significance that can be appreciated only through seeing or hearing. So the issue here might seem to be simple. Is the pleasure in beauty a sensory or intellectual pleasure? I'm going to repeat that question again. Is the pleasure in beauty a sensory or an intellectual pleasure? But then what is the difference between the two? The pleasure of a hot bath is sensory, right? The pleasure of a mathematical puzzle is intellectual. But between those two, there are a thousand intermediary positions so that the question of where aesthetic pleasure lies on the spectrum has become one of the most vexed issues in aesthetic research. Ruskin, in a famous passage of modern painters, distinguished merely sensuous interests, which he called aesthetics, from the true interest in art, which he called *theoria*, After the Greek for contemplation, not wishing, however, to assimilate arts to science or to deny that the senses are intimately involved in this appreciation of beauty. So we could say that most thinkers have avoided rustic linguistic innovation and retain the term aesthetics, recognizing, however, that this does not devote a purely sensory frame of mind. So this gives us a lot, a lot to think. Is beauty something intellectual or is beauty something about the senses only? What are your thoughts on this? If you'd like to share with us, so, um, we're talking about beauty and pleasure. So the connection between beauty and pleasure is the emotions, the, yeah, the emotions that are evoked by watching at really, and some might say that by watching something beautiful or listening to something beautiful or experiencing something beautiful, we act, we activate the pleasure sensors in our brain. So for example, um, researchers studied the brain, you know, eating sugar or eating something delicious and specific areas of their brain that up. And when they were seeing at something beautiful, same places of their brain were lighting up, so are we constantly able to evoke this pleasure in our brains in every day of our lives? And we can talk about this concept developed by Rebecca Campbell, the author of Light Is a New Black, which she creates a, a vibration board. It's not a vision board. It's not a mood board. It's kind of is, but it adds different things to it. And by using this vibration board, is to put in your board whatever you want in your life. So you can, you know, ask, you know, designer put in your board, I don't know, something that you want. Maybe a partner, maybe a family, maybe success, maybe, you know, something professionally, maybe a house, whatever is it that you want. And in that board, to add things that raise your vibration, especially pleasurable things. And it could be um, a photography about your dog. It could be um, anything else that you want that evokes pleasure, you know, something that you cooked. It could be. When you want to raise it could be anything anything that elevates your vibration as she talks about the power of creating these um uh, boards these vibration boards because it has an amazing impact in our lives and we start constantly singing every day so i invite you to start doing your vibration board something quite uneasy shouldn't take more than an hour something that you could watch constantly and put the most pleasurable the most beautiful things in it, the things that evoke this beauty and that evoke this energy and this joy inside of you. Because we have a lot of pain around the world and we deserve a small space, something easy to do, something short, something little around us that we could remind about the beauty of our lives, about the beauty of the world we inhabit, about the beauty of our bodies. Want to keep the conversation going? Luan, the world's first emotional museum, designed a global online experience to inspire and explore. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Telegram, and visit our site at LuanMuseum.com to engage creatively.